It was a really awkward prayer meeting. This is a true story, but it's not my story. It's someone else's experience, but I can kind of imagine the whole thing happening. During a time of national crisis, a church decided that they would hold a prayer meeting. And so they gathered together and they were praying about the elements of the national crisis. And they had a relatively new associate pastor. It was a multiple pastor staff, so it was a fairly large church. And they had this new, happened to be a guy. And he was at the prayer meeting. And as he was listening to the congregation pray about what had happened, he realized that he was very affected by a completely different aspect of the crisis than what everyone else had been praying about. And so when it came his turn, he prayed a very heartfelt prayer regarding the thing that he felt was being missed. And so the prayer meeting broke up and another guy on staff came up to him and told him that he could expect that on Tuesday morning, he would be called into the senior pastor's office and would be reprimanded. And the guy was like, why? And the other associate said, because of what you prayed for. And sure enough, he was called in on Tuesday morning and reprimanded for his prayer. He was told that members of the congregation felt that his compassion was misplaced and that he had prayed for the wrong people and not the right things. So now I've told you the bare bones of the story because I don't want to get derailed about what the issues might be or about church governance. I've told you just the bare bones of the story to get us to this point. So the associate pastor went back to his friend and was completely dejected. He didn't feel that he had done or prayed anything that was wrong. And then his friend said this, and this is the whole point. Do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? Because you can be right and you probably are. And you can dig your heels in on this issue and it can create such a gap between you and the congregation that you will never be able to earn the right to share with them what you feel was right. Do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? He said, you can be righteous and swallow your pride and leave open the chance that you might be able to help them see someday. And then the kicker, he said, remember that our model is Jesus, who was always right, but he chose righteousness, which led to his death and the salvation of humanity. Do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? Ever since I heard that story, that question has penetrated my soul. You can't lose sight of what the goal is. The goal is faithfully living to please Jesus. The goal in any situation is to be able to share the hope that is in us. I think about that oftentimes. The goal is not to be right all of the time. And I realize that I don't always get it right. I believe this is a crucial question for us to wrestle with as we ask the question in the sermon series, what now? What does God have for us as individuals and as a congregation in this new reality that we're living in? So let's take a look at a portion of scripture that also raises this issue. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to stop quite frequently through this. Beginning at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. We love Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus is a great children's ministry story. A lot of you will remember the flannel graph Zacchaeus. For those of you who don't know what flannel graph is, it was the cutting edge technology of children's ministries in the late 20th century. So Zacchaeus is a great story, and he even has a fun little song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. It's about this guy who was really, really short. And when he saw Jesus, it changed his life. But there's more to the story than that, kind of a darker side to the story. The text goes on to say that he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Tax collectors. We know how people feel about tax collectors. It's somehow like they've let the side down and now they've gone over and are working for the man. Nobody wants to get a call from the IRS or from a tax collector. That'll kill a conversation at any party. So what do you do for a living? I work for the IRS. I think that's Bill over there. Even more complicated though, it was in New Testament times because tax collectors were seen as being collaborators with the occupying forces. They were traitors. They were not sympathetic people. And not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, it says he was a chief tax collector. Now, there's some discussion about what the word chief refers to. It could mean that he was over other tax collectors. But since tax collector was pretty much synonymous with sinner, it could just mean that Zacchaeus was the worst of the worst. But either way, at least you get what Luke is setting up here. This is not one of the good guys. And then there is this comment that he's wealthy. Two points to make about that. The first is the biblical understanding in this time that it's very difficult for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. So the a priori assumption of the people is he can't come to faith. He's disqualified because of certain characteristics that he bears. And the second is, where did the money come from that made him rich? It came from his neighbors. They stood outside. They saw his lifestyle getting more lavish. They saw the workmen coming in, putting in the additions, adding the fancy appliances and the fixtures. They saw Zacchaeus upgrading the toys that he liked to play with. And it's one thing if someone does well for themselves and has a lot of money, it's an entirely different thing when you realize that everything that that person has is because he took it from you. All of the riches he had, all the times he skimmed cash off of the top of a deal, the times he extorted them to pay for his lavish lifestyle, it was their money that was paying for that. And if I've learned anything, it's you don't mess with people's money. Now, how many relationships have been lost because somebody owed somebody 20 bucks and didn't repay it? How many families have been torn apart fighting over mom and dad's estate? So they saw him get richer. They saw his, they saw his stuff get nicer. They saw it all and they hated him for it. They agreed that Zacchaeus was beyond salvation. And now you have the background, which doesn't fit so neatly into the fun little song. Verse three, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So being short is an obstacle, 
but only because the crowd actively blocked him. I mean, it's almost cartoonish. I can just see Zacchaeus going this way and everybody else going that way so that he couldn't see. And Zacchaeus trying to go this way and everybody else going this way. They didn't want him there. He wasn't welcome. They essentially were saying, we don't approve of you. We don't want you here. And already you might be sensing a bit of the dilemma in the text. Zacchaeus was a wretched person. They were right in their assessment of that. But they somehow took their eyes off of the goal by blocking his access to Jesus. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. What Jesus has done even has the possibility of upending their moral and ethical understanding. For them to accept the hospitality of a thief or a traitor or just a blatant sinner is to become a partner with him in his crimes. And that's not right. There's so many times that this happens with Jesus. He has an interaction with a person and the crowd disapproves. They call Jesus' judgment into question. Jesus, this is the wrong thing to do. Jesus, you're associating with the wrong people. Jesus, don't you see what kind of person this is? In this situation, Jesus and the crowd both see the same thing. They see a lost man. It's their response that's different. Jesus responds with grace. The crowd responds with judgment. It's scandalous. It's not right. I, I kind of hear what they're saying. If we start giving in on the truth, then we're on a slippery slope. Should we just condone everything? Well, that raises some questions for me. No, of course, we shouldn't just condone everything. But we condone some things and not others. Why is that? The Bible is very plain about gossip and justice and what we should do with our money, but we have a tendency to take those as metaphor. Then there are other things about which we will draw a line in the sand, but the Bible is somewhat fuzzy on. Truth is important, but we aren't saved by truth. Yes, Jesus says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, but he's referring to himself, not a set of doctrines. It's so easy to just be right, at least right in our own eyes. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this, that right has a tendency to make people hard and inflexible. Right creates a system that must be maintained at all costs, because if it's right, any little bit of chipping away could make everything fall apart. It's relatively easy to be right. I think it's harder to be righteous. Jesus seems to always be able to tell what the most important thing is. He has a mission statement that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and he seems to keep his eye on the goal. His purpose in this interaction is not whose beliefs and actions are right. His purpose, as almost always, is to reach out to somebody that needs to be saved. His purpose is to develop a relationship with Zacchaeus. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 
Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There's this transformative moment that is easily missed. Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. This happens in a moment. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, I need to come to your house. Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. This is not an account of what happens after dinner or the next morning after there were hours of conversation. Zacchaeus was looking for something. Zacchaeus was seeking and all Jesus had to do was notice him and Zacchaeus was ready to follow. They didn't even make it to his house. And Zacchaeus's life is changed. How do I know this? He gave the money back. I don't know any other better uh, measurement than that. Plus, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. What would have happened if Jesus had let him be blocked by the people who could only see that they were right and Zacchaeus was wrong? Would salvation have ever come to Zacchaeus? Would anyone have ever overcome their attitude to reach out to Zacchaeus? And then what's the follow-up to verse 10? Do the people rejoice that they're getting their money back plus interest and penalties? Do they praise God that this obviously troubled man comes to faith in Jesus and his life is radically changed? Or do they stay mad that this isn't right? I wonder. Probably different people had different responses. No group is ever monolithic, and we shouldn't approach people like that. I know that I'm regularly amazed at the grace that I see extended by people in our church and the love with which our lives are lived. But we have to ask ourselves these questions because the temptation we'll now face is that we're tired. And it would be really nice to go back to the way things were and to lose our edge. And right will always be easier than righteousness. In fact, I think it's possible to be so right that you're wrong. I, I think it's possible to find one or two things that are your litmus test for who is with you and who is against you. And by extension, at least in your own thinking, who's with God and who is not with God. There's several really divisive issues in our uh, society, like, for instance, abortion. I hear people ask, how can you be a Christian and support abortion? I can say with all honesty, in my experience, I don't know anybody who is pro-abortion. I don't know anybody who thinks that it's really a great idea. I do know lots of people who have had abortions, and they need the healing that Jesus can bring them and that the community can help with. Now, we could be right and say abortion is wrong, and if you don't agree, you aren't welcome. Now, we wouldn't say it like that because we're much more polite than that, but would be able to communicate that message. But I wonder, is it possible to hold that belief, but to seek righteousness, to keep our eye on the goal, too? I look at Jesus's approach to people. I look at Jesus's approach to Zacchaeus. All the other people can see is that he's wrong. He's a traitor. He's not like them. Jesus looks at him and says, this man is too a son of Abraham. 
the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was falsely accused of lots of things. People frequently thought Jesus was wrong and that he endorsed immorality, and he endured it all in order to save people. It gets back to the beginning. Jesus could have always dug his heels in and said, I am right here, but he gave that up in order to be righteous so that people could be saved. The question of right versus righteousness is not so much what we believe, but who we believe in. This year has been so divisive politically and on so many other levels. Families and friendships and churches have all been torn apart by people who believe they are right and who believe their being right is the most important thing. I think being righteous is more important. And I think it basically gets down to our posture. Who would have guessed that Zacchaeus was ready to follow Jesus? In any given situation, we hardly ever have all of the information about anyone or any given thing. We may not know what God is doing in a certain person's heart or within a certain people group. Importantly, Paul reminds us that the only stumbling block that should be placed between people and God is the cross. Not social issues, not party affiliation, not economic theory, not race, just the cross. A little humility, keeping our eye on what the real goal is, and a desire to be like Jesus go a long way toward righteousness. So let me ask you three questions. Are there people in your life that you think don't deserve God's grace? Number two, what do you think is the most important truth of the Bible? And number three, how does that play out in your life?